Hello and welcome to Voices to Dream. I'm Suzanne Mann, the Challenge Girl, and today I have an extremely interesting guest for you. I think she'll sort of blow your socks off, not only with her life, but then all of the incredible advice she's going to have for us as well. Um, Not only in her I don't know, you might sort of think of her as having an expert field in parenting, but truly in life skills as well. So I just wanted to quickly remind everyone, please, to like, share, subscribe and comment, Um, not only on the actual podcast, but even, you know, if you see one of my, my posts on Instagram, Facebook, please feel free, especially to comment and to like and share because I love seeing your comments and I'm pretty sure you'll always get a response from me because that's how I get to converse with you guys as well. So enjoy the show and have fun. Here it comes. Hello and welcome to another episode of Voices to Dream. I'm Suzanne Mann, the Challenge Girl. And I am super thrilled to have my guest with me today. Now, this guest, okay, for those of you who don't know, I've just recently moved to the Bahamas and I have three children. I live here with my three children and my beautiful husband. And they go to a local not-for-profit private school called Lyford Key International School. And they're community-based, but with a global focus. They have the most incredible teachers with the incredible, amazing qualifications, but they know the importance of furthering that professional development all the time. So a month or so ago, I actually had the opportunity because the teachers were having a professional development day and the school invited parents to come along if they wanted to. And I always jump at anything like that because (laughs) I want to learn too. And I was lucky enough to meet the beautiful Barbara Coloruso. Thank you for joining me today, Barbara. Thank you, Suzanne. And it was such a joy to be once again back in the Bahamas working at Life for Key uh, with educators and parents uh, and other community members who are very concerned about raising uh, resourceful, resilient, uh, responsible, compassionate human beings uh, from the time they're in early childhood, literally, uh, through their teen years, which is my goal uh, over the last 52 years in helping parents and educators um, contribute to helping young people become all that they can become people who know how to think, not just what to think, who are willing to stand up for values and against injustices, who are not easily led, who don't do to please, who have what Carl Sagan said all three-year-olds have, that gift of skepticism and wonder. The why and the wow. Wow, look at the mud puddle. Wow, look at the trees. Wow, look at the bug. And why, 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 why? Uh, Because I want young people Uh, who have it at three innately to keep that going. So in the teen years, when their uh, peers say, um, let's go vandalize that building, Mm. I want them to 
why on earth would I do that? That skepticism, but also the wow of life. They yes. tend not to harm themselves and others when they are still wowed by all around them and themselves as wonderful human beings who can make a difference. It's like a, it's the wow is for me. I mean, my biggest problem when I met Barbara was that I wrote so many notes that I, I couldn't keep up with everything. But the very first thing I wrote there was the wow and why, because I love that as well. For me, the, that's, again, that's part of, uh, although you're a parenting, teaching sort of expert, these are life skills. And it's, you know, those are skills that I still want to have, you know, even at my age. And I want, you know, my parents to have to be, because that wow is like showing gratitude as well. You know, these are incredible things. And I have and joyfulness, gratitude and joyfulness. And yet, if you look at little ones, it's there. Yeah. And what we want to do is not cover it over, not uh demand that they behave uh but invite them yes. to behave because they are fully capable of uh being that one to stand up for their peers to to have that gift of skepticism and wonder yeah. to even question the parent <laughs> <And> oh. <laughs> some of it sounds a little scary but so we're going to be we're going to be discussing a lot of stuff today but we're sort of going to be I've I've made this into a little bit of a we're going to discuss have a little bit of an insight into Barbara's life we're going to look at some of these life skills we're going to be talking about some of the skills that Barbara has in her Barbara has written many books, many, many books. But the one that I've just recently read is Kids Are Worth It. And this byline is just, these are like some of the most beautiful words in my life. I, I love these words. Raising resilient, responsible, and compassionate kids. So that those are that's what I try to live by. So we're going to be doing that. And at the end, we might even do something a little bit different with this podcast. And I might, over the next little bit of time, I might be posting a few little outtakes as well, where Barbara gives us some tips or some, some little looking into some other little aspects of her life that we don't get to in the podcast. So we'll get started. But before we get into your life, I just wanted to see how you're checking in today, Barbara. How are you, how are you checking in? Oh, uh, it's just so exciting to share what I have been living um, with my own three children and now grandchildren uh, is how to just be that connected human being. I mean, we've just been through a pandemic and the loss and the grief. And I remember at Life for K, working with the people who worked with early childhood children and them uh, worried that the children didn't have the social graces they typically see at that age. I say, remember, they've been isolated for two and a half years. And it's so important that we say, okay, this is where they're at, where they can go and what we need to do to get there. Mm -hmm. And that we honor all of our losses as well as all the wonderful things we connected with during that time. You know, I remember when my daughter, one of my daughters uh, was diagnosed um, with cancer and my son was so upset because a peer of his had committed suicide. And here my daughter was struggling with a, a life-threatening yeah. tumor and he came home so angry. And I said, you know what, Joe, life is not fair. Mm. 
it hurts and it's very, very good. Um, and so it was looking at this saying, wow, we can get through this. Uh, and we have to hold it in that perspective. I've often gone back to the Sufi saying, uh, this too will pass. And people know that in the bad times, you know, but the full quote is remember in the good times and the bad, this too will pass. That living in the moment with children is so critical. If we're always worried about, oh, how are they going to turn out? We miss how they're becoming right there yeah. and who they are. And so um, it's been my passion. I started out as an educator in special ed, uh, working with kids um, who uh, had many, many special needs, and then went into working with uh, young offenders um, who uh many of them came in like hey you know you know what i've done and and why would you even want to have anything to do with me yeah and i would say to them welcome and yes i've read your record and we'll get through this you know being that sense of whatever it is uh i talk about in parenting mealtime and bedtime and chores and sibling rivalry and allowances and potty training and getting your kid out of the local jail and people go what <laughs> You know, I say, you know, kids have to in peer pressure. Those things can happen. Yeah. And so if we, and they laugh a little, and then some of them are sitting there saying, yeah. And others are coming up to me and saying, well, you know, my kid was in jail and it was devastating. And we got through it, mm. you know, that we can get through this with our children. So it's looking at all the parts of a young child's life and not being Pollyannish about it, uh, recognizing uh, that when they make mistakes or cause mischief or create mayhem, that yes, we are there for them and we can get through this. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I, do you know, I and I quoted that Sufi saying, but your, you know, the full version of it. That's the full version. Yeah, I, I, I quoted that to to an adult just the other day. You know, and. I'm so glad that you told me that because yes, I had always just heard the, you know, the sort of the, the sadder negative. part. Yeah. The negative part. And, but that's it. You know, it's this whole thing of um, in the compassion course that I, t I teach sometimes, you know, we, we talk about how it's sort of like having a, a, a stress ball or something in your hand and you just can't, you know, you can't hold on to it and squeeze it too tightly because you're just not going to, it's not going to work, but you also can't hold it too loosely. You know, it's just about getting it right and knowing that honoring it, that honoring. moment, that moment's there at the time. That's right. And enjoying honoring it for it. what, what was, it is. And, and what a wake up call to me when I said to my uh, daughter's oncologist, I wish it could have been me oh my that goodness, had yes. this tumor. And he looked at me. Now, remember, I've been doing this about giving kids agency and helping them become all they can become. He said, what makes you think that your daughter isn't strong enough to handle her own burdens? And it was like, oh, I need to be there to guide and to support and say, you can do this, hon. Oh and, and it was a reminder to me that we all have our own journeys. All of our children have their own journeys. And our job is not to be uh, out in front of them to pave the way, make it easier, or over them to punish them for when they mess up. 
but to stand behind them and guide them yeah. uh, and, and give them those, what I call six critical life messages. I believe in you. I trust in you. I know you can handle this. You're listened to, you're cared for, and you're very important to me. Children need to hear that in lots of different ways every single day. Yeah. And I say to educators, you know, being an educator myself, when I walked in that classroom, I didn't care where a kid came from. Dad's an alcoholic. Mother has an interesting occupation. Brother's been in jail. Every kid needs to know you matter. Hmm. That you matter right yeah. here. And, every, and again, everyone needs to know that. But And I have to ask, so, and although that, again, that, oh, yeah. just, that <laughs> gave me God bumps, that your story about your daughter, because... I, I would be, you know, I'd say the same. I, I think, I think, I feel like any parent would say the same. So to have to step back and, and take that breath and, and think about that, that's, that's so hard. Is your daughter, how did your daughter cope? Oh, she was 17. She's now 46 and, wow. and has a wonderful son. Yeah. Uh, and had to make some very heavy decisions uh, during her pregnancy with with him because going off medications and the like and she did it she's such a an inspiration to me um and uh um when uh, our son graduated from high school and i have three kids anna marie and joe and anna had been diagnosed with something during her senior year and joe wouldn't go to a doctor his senior year <laughs> he wouldn't get diagnosed with anything <laughs> And when he graduated, his two sisters grabbed him and hugged him and said, you made it. Now, I know some of the teachers were going, yeah, we weren't sure he would make it through high school. Oh, no. That wasn't it. What they were saying is you weren't diagnosed with anything. I know. It's, a, it's like the, the Colorosa curse. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. it's, it's, it's not really reasonable because things happen no. in That's people's right. lives. But that was their joy and to see them and, and the teachers were clueless. <laughs> my, my, my most family gifts to one another. That's it. That's it. Both of my my uh, my eldest and my middle child both had hernia operations in kindergarten. And so when my youngest started kindergarten, they were exactly the same. They're like, this is the year of the hernia operation, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. never had one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna do it, do it now. And it's like my mother used to say, I brought home every virus that existed <laughs> in kindergarten. Brought it all home to everybody, all five. I'm a uh, one of five. Siblings. Oh my goodness, my goodness. And, uh, well, so, well, that's that takes me into actually. I wanted to, so I wanted to ask you about, you know, your upbringing. Where do you, where do you come from? What were your parents like? <laughs> <laughs> I must say my mother and father both in their later years worked for me. Uh, and my wow. mom would my lectures and say, where did you learn all that stuff? Because uh, she struggled and uh, my dad struggled with issues in their life. My dad had been in World War II and, um, you know, they had their own personal that we all bring to yeah. our lives um, in our adult lives. Uh, and she would say to me, where'd you learn all of that? Because it didn't come <laughs> from the family <laughs> of origin. Uh, they did the best they could do. Yeah. And um, I must say, I did take a little journey after uh, I left home. Uh, at 17, I entered the convent, a Franciscan 
uh, order. What uh, makes you want to do that at 17? I don't know. I wish I did. Okay. I've explored it. Um, uh, We did have, my dad had um, his auntie uh, who had four kids. One was a Carthusian monk who studied under Thomas Merton and then became a Carthusian rather than a Capuchin. Um, uh, one was a priest who worked with AIDS patients, uh, early on in the pandemic, uh, and gave them a lot of solace and comfort when that was not the in thing to yes, do. Yeah. Uh, and, and could to, uh, Liz Taylor, you know, who privately did that kind of thing during that same era. Yeah. And then Aunt Helen also had a daughter who was a, a nun, um, at Notre Dame and uh, was a missionary in Taiwan and then had a daughter who had seven kids. <laughs> <laughs> so my Auntie Helen had a tremendous influence. Yeah. Uh, she was really my great aunt because it was my dad's aunt. Um, and I had wanted to work with seriously uh, handicapped kids having started doing that um, at 15 when I asked my uh I was a lifeguard and asked my uh, uh, boss if we could have, because a dear friend of mine had a a sister who couldn't take those lessons because she had a severe handicap. Um, And I asked him if we could start one for kids with special needs, knowing nothing, knowing absolutely nothing. And kids showed up who were deaf, who were blind, (gasps) cerebral palsy, who had mental retardation, the old term in those days. Yeah. And it was, Oh my goodness. <laughs> and we all pitched in as lifeguards and it was wonderful. And I knew then at 15, that's what I wanted to do. Wow. And so my dad's cousin, who was a nun, said, Oh, you don't want to come to our order. You want to go to St. Francis, uh, Franciscan order, um, who have the school for seriously handicapped children and adults. It's where um, those of you who are American would know um, where uh, Rose Kennedy was, John yeah. F. Kennedy's sister. Yes. Father had her lobotomized at puberty, and she was seriously disabled after that. Uh, and so our nuns took care of her. Wow. And it was a fascinating school. And I've got to tell you, in terms of my convent training. It was during the civil rights movement. We were active in civil rights issues, which I got to tell you, coming from my small town was a wake up for me um, and a wonderful wake up. And then working with these nuns who were dedicated to working with children who many people saw as outcasts and didn't belong in society and, and treating them with the dignity and regard and pushing them to be all they could become. Uh, so the way I look at my convent experience, I was glad I went and glad I went left. <laughs> now, what made you leave? Uh, I just knew um, that this was not for me. I was 17. They don't even let you go in that young anymore. Yeah. Uh, I got a phenomenal education in all areas of my life at that point. Um, and there were three vows. You take the vow of poverty. I grew up very poor, so um, I was living better than I had <laughs> at home. Yeah. Cassidy, I was too young to know much about that. <laughs> and the last vow was obedience. Mm. And 
um, it was during Vatican II, big changes happening. And um, that I often ask people after they've heard my last lectures, which vow did you think I struggle with the most? And it was obedience. <laughs> uh, and in the true sense, it's obedience uh, to um, living a good life and a righteous life and and caring deeply about other human beings and caring about yourself. And uh, so I'm glad for those gifts. Yes. However, within the structure of the church at that time. Very different. To um, uh, an archbishop was hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> and if you know my work, uh, it's raising young human beings mm. who develop a sense of inner discipline. Yeah. And think for themselves. Uh, not only think for themselves, but care deeply enough about themselves. I go back and I had a wonderful education in theology, studying all the major faith traditions in the world. And Martin Buber said, I am I and you are thou. I'm unique and you're unique and we have a common humanity. Mm. You can't just say I'm out giving to other human beings if we haven't nourished ourselves as well. So I, I cherish those gifts and the gift of community and seeing activist women, strong women uh, in my life during that time. And I often talk to my mother about that uh, as she helped with raising our, our children, their yeah. grand, grandchildren. Um, and uh, that that was so important. Yeah. Uh, be a strong human being in relation to others. Sometimes I think in, in our culture, it's all about me, 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 me. Forgetting the I and the thou. And what I see today, um, which is very scary to me, is that sense of I am I and you're an it. You're mm. outsider. You're different. And when we exclude other human beings because of their race or religion or gender or physical or mental ability, it destroys that I, thou, and our common humanity. Archbishop Tutu yeah. from South Africa said, we're interdependent, interrelated, and interconnected. And I want young people to be able to hold both intention that I am unique. I have gifts that um, I need to honor and recognize. I also have liabilities. And I can draw on the strength of others and need to uh, be interdependent, not dependent, yes. but interdependent, and recognize and honor them for the gifts that they truly are. And then how do we create community? And that starts very young mm. uh, with honoring that little one yeah. and saying, you can be me. I want little children saying, I can be me. That's why I loved Val Sesame Street. Um, I have to tell you a story about that. Uh, my, when I was on Oprah and I got the wonderful opportunity <laughs> to be on Oprah, as a replacement. <laughs> and, and stop saying that. You've got to stop saying that. I don't care about the replacement part. You were on Oprah. <laughs> I was. I was. And, and now you're on Voices to Dream. <laughs> yes, Voices to Dream now. And I love it. I love uh, the, the wonderful, um, I must say, she and Dini Petty, who was the Oprah of Canada, how they both really... Um, kicked off my international journey, uh, both in my books and in my personal um, journey as well. Um, and being on uh, Oprah, taking that that leap there um, and having that wonderful opportunity, uh, it, I look at that and I say, you know what? It's 
my children were embarrassed. They were teenagers. Oh, what a, and they said, please, mom, don't tell anybody you were on Oprah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, my youngest, who was, uh, I think a freshman or a sophomore at that point, I had three kids in three, high school at the same time. I had three and three and a half years oh, made up for goodness, Right. And, uh, um, he walks into school and his art teacher says, I saw your mother on Oprah. And it was like, oh, my. However, when in their 30s, yeah, I was invited to be uh, on a board for Sesame Street for resiliency and bullying. They thought I had arrived <laughs> because I got the opportunity to help develop a program on bullying for Sesame Street. I mean, wow, it's amazing, you know, and they're in their 30s. So I had finally arrived, <laughs> you know, and I have uh, I have my uh, little big bird in the office. Wow. <laughs> well, you know what? If I make it onto Sesame Street or Oprah, I'll be pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't even on it. I just got to be a consultant for yeah. it. And if you want to see the one, it's called Big Bird and the Good Bird Club. Oh, wow. I marveled at yeah. how you could take my book, The Bully, the Bully, the Not-So-Innocent Bystander, and bring it down to the level of three, four, five-year-old. Wow. Magnificent job. Magnificent. Yeah. What was it called? Big Bird and the... Good Bird Club. Good Big Good Bird. Bird. Decided to be on the Good Bird Club. Good yeah, Bird Club. Okay. Yeah, but, I'll see but, if I can find it. Pigeon was a bully. Wow, I love that. How crazy! How crazy are our children sometimes? I mean, seriously, to say, don't tell anyone you're on the Oprah Show, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy. Well, um, what? Well, so you loved doing the teaching. You I went from the nunnery. So <laughs> well, this is it. And then, but then what inspired you to go into helping, you know, helping the parents, writing the books, giving the talks? Oh, I don't like to write. So we'll say that right up front. Yes, <laughs> well, I, you've I, written quite a few. <laughs> it's not my favorite thing. I lecture it and then write it. Right. Uh, I, well, I started out as an educator uh, and then, um, in my teaching, ended up at the University of Northern Colorado as an adjunct instructor and uh, a teacher for children who were being adjudicated in the courts and then trying to get back into public the public system. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of like the halfway there. So um, going from teaching kids with um, special needs in terms of uh, uh, disabilities and, and their mental abilities and like to dealing with juvenile delinquents. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, I love that work. Um, and and the, re the requirement at the university was that you taught the kids in the day and people observed you. University and students would observe you. Right. And, and teaching students in the university at night. So it kept you grounded in the uh, research, but also in the everyday real life with that kid saying, mm, not doing it. <laughs> so um, then uh, one of my um, students at the university graduated in administration, in education, and invited me to speak at a conference in their district. And from there, it took off. And then um, one day I got a phone call because somebody uh, had gotten very ill and they were supposed to do a keynote 
uh, at a special ed conference in Ottawa yeah, and uh, Canada. And they called me and said, can you be there tomorrow? I called my <laughs> husband at work. I said, Hun, <laughs> mom's got to come out to take care of, help take care of the kids, but I'm heading to Ottawa. Wow. Well, it was, it was a, a, a nationwide conference there and from there people started asking me it just snowballed in both at home in the united states and in canada and then the opportunity to work with uh, the department of defense in both the countries the wow. canadian military and the u.s military in their schools overseas and then international schools uh, however once in hamilton ontario they had a professional development date. Now we're talking 50 years ago, 49 yeah. with Canada. Um, the professional development days where teachers would get the same kind of training you attended yeah. at Life. Um, and parents were upset that kids were off school for a day. Oh. So the administration said, Would you mind doing a parent session? Yeah. At and so that's how I began to do parent sessions in Hamilton, Ontario. And I loved it. Um, I think the, the parents enjoyed it because the philosophy is the same. It's the same. I have three basic philosophical tenets as a parent and an educator. You don't have to have the same three, but you have to know where you're coming from. Uh, and I said, one, kids are worth it. And we have to believe that because I know in education, you're not in that field for the money and you're certainly not in parenting for the money. Yeah, <laughs> no. Two, I won't treat a child in a way I myself would not want to be treated. If I wouldn't want it done to me. Why on earth would I do it to a child? And three, if it works, whatever I do, it must leave my dignity and my child's dignity intact. Uh, and so if, that's where I'm coming from. Uh, we need to look at where each one of us are coming from. And some of us came from not the healthiest backgrounds. And some came from very dynamic families. Yeah. And they grew up uh, where parents had it together. They had it together. Uh, the rest of us who came from less than vital functioning, healthy families, um, you know, our toolbox we reach into that toolbox. We want a hammer. We pull out a hatchet. We make a mess of whatever we're trying to do. And then we start running to parenting workshops and we read parenting books and we take a technique from here, a technique from here. If it's in a book, it's got to be right, wrong. <laughs> we have to look at where am I coming from and bounce everyone else's ideas, including your own parents and including those around us and including people who so called our experts. I always say I'm not a parenting expert, mm -hmm. I'm a parenting educator. Right. And I grow as people give me examples. And as my own children have grown, and now we're in the the uh, age of influencers and media and cell phones mm -hmm. that I certainly didn't grow up with. And it was not an issue for my own children, but my grandchildren are struggling with that That's as it. they're are and the balance and yeah and, but if you know where you're coming from uh and you can look at that and say okay they are worth it won't treat them in a way I wouldn't want to be treated and if it works and leaves both of us with our dignity intact then that's a valuable tool for me again you don't have to have the same three but you have to know where you're coming from yeah know what they are 
and a parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've often said, you know, teachers can have so much patience at school. <laughs> and they're tired, worn out, and frustrated. And they say, how come I can do that with the kids at school? But my kids are driving me crazy kind of thing. And you yeah, and say, you know what? Each one of these kids are unique. Yeah. And they're special. And everyone matters. Yes. And, and well, that's, and I don't know, I, I've learned very well that your kids respond to you as a parent very differently to how they respond to other people. <laughs> it's that it's that safe space thing at home that, whoa, can be very different. But that's actually, so normally, normally I'd ask about making, you know, I'd sort of look at the big picture of making a compassionate world and stuff in this, in this part of the podcast. But you have so much knowledge to give us. And I, I feel like we sort of can start from the other way and go up a bit because you have, you do, you've got these tips and skills that you can help us with that are helping, helping not only our children, but ourselves, our relationships to be more compassionate and give everyone those you know, put some extra, maybe brush off some tools that, you know, dust off some tools in the toolbox or, or add a few in. That's it. And for me, that was where, I mean, it was so helpful. And definitely the, this, with all of these books, like I was, I was so excited when I heard from you and was trying to absorb it and then went out, got the book and reading it and so excited. But you do, you have to, this isn't something that happens overnight, is it? You know, this is, this is, it's like, um, I relate a lot of things back to exercising, but you know, you cannot just go in and lift up those heavy weights and, and just do it. You have to start slow. You have to take the time. And one of the things that I'd love to know your thoughts on this as well, but one of the things for me with parenting is that I find we sort of don't, I personally do not necessarily take the time to step back after, maybe after a situation has happened, step back, review it. You know, at, in an office situation, you'd probably review it, process it, learn from it and and move on, which actually makes me think of your mistakes thing. <laughs> yes, um, no, this yeah. is it. So, and, and well, in parenting, you don't do it, you know, you're, you're not necessarily giving yourself the chance because the next thing's happening. Dinner has got to get ready. The next day is on, you know, how do we, how do we start Barbara? Well, I go to the three R's rest, recreate and rebel. Mm. We need to give time to ourselves. We have to walk that talk and talk that walk with our children. We have to show them that we can pull apart, that we can take the time to be calm and the like, to rest, uh, recreate, play. Play is so vital to young people and the way they learn. And we also now recognize that play is critical for all of us to be playful, mm. to be able to take a moment and stomp in the mud puddles with our children, to be able to uh, listen to our teenagers' music and say, talk to me about that. I didn't get that phrase. Help <laughs> me out here because they love to teach you. Or, you know, can you show me how to do this? I got to tell you, when the pandemic happened, 
uh, this Zoom room was created from a bedroom. <laughs> and I had to call my three grandchildren who were 12 uh, and 11 and 10. Yeah. And say, how does Zoom work? <laughs> and they were so, and, oh, grandma, you got to get ring lights and you have to hardwire into the computer. Okay. <laughs> so them, and they felt so good being able to teach me something. Yes. Uh, and so we have to have that give and take. And we also have to recognize that we're going to lose it sometimes. And, and anybody out there who's never lost it, good on you. <laughs> <laughs> You're not real. <laughs> I'll break your arm, I'll wring your neck. You're never, ever going to the grocery store with me ever again. Um, and you're grounded for six months. Uh, I had a dear friend who grounded her adolescent for six months, including senior prom. Uh-huh. And why on earth would you do that? I don't want to get home for six months. Uh, you know. I know. And when you've lost it, what you can say is, kid, I blew that. Hmm. I'm going to walk outside, take a deep breath and start over. Come back in. And by the way, help me come up with something that makes sense. Because grounding you for six months is something I'm doing to you. You're not taking responsibility for what you just did. Hmm. And I'm not serving you well when I do that. Yeah. It's okay do it now if every day you're losing it get help it's important to recognize that there is a time any of us can say i need help we can't always do it ourselves um and sometimes we have this sense of nuclear family which in the the word nuclear it can explode (laughs) and we need to say i need help yeah and uh, it's okay to do that and recognize when we lose it, it says to our children, this is how you come back from losing it. Yes. But losing it all the time. You, yeah. You get help. And, and you talked about, you know, home being safe harbor. It needs to be. I just remember with a smile when our youngest was invited over to a friend's house and we went through the manners thing, having manners, not etiquette, you know, not follow the rules but being gracious at someone's home and eating, even if you don't like it, only exception is if you're allergic and they weren't. So <laughs> you know, and the neighbor called and said, my goodness, it's such a joy to have your son here. His manners are something I'd like my children. And I said, you got the right kid. <laughs> you got the, right kid. the dark haired kid who came over to your house. <laughs> because he certainly, he felt freer at home, you know, but he knew, what we yes. had taught them. Yes. And, and it's so beautiful. Because we taught them. And it was just so heartening. And we need that once in a while, a little bit of feedback. And it's also important that children have extended family, mm. not all blood related. Yeah. I, I My family moved from New York, Staten Island, New York. Uh, everybody was there, all the relatives, to Fort Morgan, Colorado, a small town where my uncle was the barber, uh, the only biological relative. But I sure had a lot of aunties and uncles I didn't know for years weren't really my biological aunt. <laughs> it's just that that's what you did. You had extended right. And now we um, have made sure that our family uh, is extended beyond bloodline. Yeah. Uh, and I want children to know you're welcome in our home. Yeah, uh, I want families to know we took in Bosnian refugees during the war, which was the greatest wow. gift for my children and us more for us than for them. And now they are family to us. 
and the holidays, we all come together and the like. So it's so important uh, to um, make sure that our children have other people besides ourselves. Yes. I remember telling my uh, nieces and nephews in their teen years that if you run away, come to our home. And we'll make sure you're safe, just so you have a place to run away to. <laughs> and one of my nephews did run away. And I said, look, we just got to call your mom and dad and say, he's safe. He's okay. Yeah. And one of my kids said, where do we run to? Think <laughs> 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 that through, yes. But, you know, um, and you also mentioned, you know, that uh, we're safe harbor. Um, I had told a dear friend uh, in the midst of an ugly divorce and she was so frustrated that every time the kids came home to her uh, from being at their dad's home, that they just went to pieces and were angry and frustrated. And I said, that's because it's safe here. You've got to understand. They don't have to uh, uh, humiliate you or degrade you and there's certain limits, but they need to be able to vent mm. uh, and feel safe. Uh, and just know that if they don't feel safe at the other parent's home at puberty, they'll quit talking to them. Right. Yeah. They won't feel safe. Yeah. And that's, and that's their loss. They're the other parents loss. Yeah. Children but, need to feel safe. Yeah. And you need to understand that sometimes when they're venting for, to you, that has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what's going on in your life. It's not always easy, but yeah, <laughs> I get oh, it. I get it. Right? Yeah. And you know, when I'm lecturing, sometimes I'm going, well, yeah, I know that because I did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you talk about just, just going back to you saying about having the community or the village, you know, that's so, it's really, I, I don't know. I really see that as being lost a lot these days. And for me, I don't know, one of the things, I guess like a little piece of advice maybe to give to people, but one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, again, it comes back to you have to start trusting people and, you know, trusting other people or being and being your authentic self, you know, that everything doesn't have to be a show. The, the people who come over and see your house looking perfect all the time, no one has a perfect house all the time. It's okay to, you know, invite people in and be folding your laundry, you know. We have a rock, a little rock that I still have in our, our townhome as we had downsized as we got older happily yeah. a long time ago. And, but I still have that rock. An immaculate home is a sign of a misspent childhood. <laughs> you know, it's a rock <laughs> right at the doorstop, yeah. you know. Um, and I remember one of my daughter, oldest daughter's friends coming over and saying, it's so comfortable at this house. I'm thinking yeah. laundry there and because her, her home was a designer home yeah. and she did it look beautiful. And what we want is children to feel comfortable. Um, and I remember when one of uh, our middle daughter's friends came over and said, Mrs. C, cause they always called me Mrs. C. Um, Mrs. C, why isn't there a coffee table here anymore? And I said, well, it just needed to go for a while because we had in our home, my office and my secretary's office, hers was the biggest because <laughs> we were the daycare for her children. Right. There was always one of us adults around, right? I love and it. 
day, one day her daughter was on top of the glass top of the table. None of my children had done that. Her two brothers never did it, but she was on top of it. Well, it went. There's a time during that period, it came back later. Yeah, yeah. Still laugh about it. And a, a little friend drew a Buzz Lightyear permanent marker on a beige couch, leather couch. <laughs> Beautiful Buzz Lightyear. I took a picture of it. Fine. <laughs> and she said, oh, my goodness. what are we? I said, we're going to leave it. That's it. And you know what he is today? A graphic designer. Oh, wow. So he, he was, and it was this little Buzz Lightyear on this leather couch. That's a good story. <laughs> Have you still got the picture? <laughs> Yeah, you look at that and you go, you know what? It's okay. Yeah. It, you don't sweat the small stuff. Yes. And to get hysterical with him, oh my gosh, you ruined it. I mean, poor, the poor mom was just mortified. I said, no, yeah. no, I have an artist. My son's an artist. We get it. And, uh, um, you know, we've had accidents at our home. I'll never forget. And, and I grew up very poor. So we have this nice home, new carpet. We are our home with our three little ones in it. And uh, Maria decided to see what happens when you put the iron on the carpet. Oh, oh. And it just kind of melted it all. And I looked at it and I went, oh. And she was mortified what happened. I mean, she realized something was wrong here. And the iron's got the gooey stuff and nylon carpet. Yeah, it was. And I looked at it and I said, hmm. whoa, what do we do? I mean, I could punish her, but I'm not into punishment. I could also go rescue her and say, oh, it's this, okay, sweetheart. I'll take care of it. Don't worry. Instead, I really believe in giving life to a child's learning, to discipline. She recognized right there this little imprint. And so I said, well, one of the things we could do is cut all the black off. And she took her little scissors, cut all the black part of the uh, nylon off. Yeah. And it was a little indentation, but <laughs> it's there till we moved. <laughs> you know? Wow. Uh, if you look at that, and uh, one of our other ones had drawn on the wall, um, and we had had paper up for them to do, but drew on the wall, and you look at it and go, okay. Let's talk about limits and boundaries. Yeah. You, <laughs> and you our must... home can paint on the wall and make it, but let's do it in this space. Right. Yeah. And you can do it here and it's good. When you go to somebody else's house, not such a good idea. Yeah. And well, you must have a very, your relationship with your husband must have been very, you know, simpatico there because, I mean, you've got to make sure you're on the same page with this stuff, don't you? We do. And I had the wonderful opportunity of marrying somebody who worked with refugees, migrants, and children with special needs. We had a lot in common. However, we were raised very differently. And both of us recognized that if we wanted to raise our children differently, that we both had to put new tools in our toolboxes. Mm. Um, and so it, it was a journey for us. And like losing it, why would I talk to people about losing it? I've lost it. <laughs> that thing you just, you're never going to the grocery store with me ever again. That doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? So you learn from that. And yes, we struggled. Uh, one of the beautiful things was that we liked one another. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And and we could 
Don could say, you're a little harsh there. Uh, more often than not, it was me saying that to him, that you're a bit harsher because that's what he grew up with. And uh, with five, I was the second of five. And um, I uh, was often with my older sister, very much taking care of the younger ones. And uh, so we came from different backgrounds. Yes. However, I had that interjection of convent. Uh, where I saw very powerful women uh, standing up and speaking out and uh, very deeply caring people. That also gave me some good tools working with children with special needs. For instance, one of my favorite duties as an educator, uh, and I worked from kindergarten through university, uh, and my favorite was middle school. Yeah. However, one of my favorite duties was lunch duty and other teachers go, really? <laughs> because at the St. Coletta's, which is where the largest institution for kids with special needs at that point, lunchtime was delightful. There was always music playing, very pleasant music. And every child, regardless of their ability, uh, would have a white cloth at the end of the table. They'd set their own place. And if somebody had physical disabilities, somebody else would help them. Yeah. And then at the end of the meal, they each wiped their own place off uh, to make it ready for the next person. Beautiful. And I learned from that with my own children then. And in middle school, I would walk around, sit down with kids and talk to them about, okay, how can we be socially responsible here? And they kind of look at me and do what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about. Yeah sitting here, respecting other human beings and respecting yourself and wiping up for yourself. Have you ever seen some middle school and high school cafeterias? You go, oh my goodness. I want to give kids that sense of responsibility that you can do this kid. You can help with this environment right here um, and make it a better place. Uh, I was uh, in Japan working in an early childhood program and just watched the educators help little ones become responsible for themselves and others. Yeah. At the end of the day, they all put their little chairs up, uh, dump the trash can to make it easier for the custodian. Beautiful. What a concept, you know? Yeah. yeah. That we're all in this. Yeah. That we're not waiting on you hand and foot. That doesn't serve you well, and it'll make me crazy. Yeah. You also don't demand of you what you're not fully capable of yet. Mm -hmm. That we recognize that you will make mistakes and you will create some mischief. And how do we help you take responsibility for that? Yeah, beautiful. Now, well, I well actually, and again, we've mentioned we've mentioned the word mistakes a few times, and it was one of my it was one of my aha favorite things from your talk. So I was wondering if you could go through the for, because I think this is just a great thing to have in your toolbox. Again, not just with kids, but with yourself, uh, with your, I, I've used it with everyone. I mean, I've even said oh, it to my exactly. husband before. That's the goal. This is, is it. These aren't only for children. If we're no. raising to be that responsible and resourceful, resilient, compassionate human being, that means that they'll have those skills That's when they're right. in all of those experiences. That's right. So I get three different things. Mistakes, mischief, and mayhem, the three M's. Yes. And with a mistake, a mistake, what do you do? 
a, a mistake, let me give you the difference between the three. A mistake, you have a little child who's scribbling on the paper and it goes off. A permanent marker goes off because yeah. they took the marker you knew you'd put away, right? That's a mistake. Another child does tic-tac-toe on the table. That's mischief. Another child writes another child's name and a gross term. Mm -hmm. That's all three are markings, but all three have very different. different. So let's go to mischief. I mean, mistakes first. A three year old breaks a glass, or it can be a 16 year old uh, backing uh, out in the parking lot and hitting a post that they didn't see. Those are mistakes. They weren't speeding, it was not visible in the line of the car, and they made a mistake. Um, there are three kinds of families, brick wall, jellyfish, and backbone. Brick wall, you klutzy kid, I swear you're never going to use glass again. You'll be using plastic the rest of your life. Get out of the kitchen. Which says to a kid, when you make a mistake, you are the mistake. You're the problem. Those are kids who start to hide their problems. I can always tell a child from a brick wall family when they make a mistake at school because they cover their little butts because they're afraid you're going to hit them, which you never would do. Or they cover their ears because they're afraid you're going to scream at them, which you never would do. But that's what they're expecting. Yeah. Jellyfish. Oh, sweetheart. What was I thinking? Giving you a slippery glass. Oh, my goodness. Come on over (laughs) here and have some chocolate milk while I clean this mess up, which says when you have a problem with somebody else's fault. Definitely not me. (laughs) uh, And I get your kid in school and he says, wasn't my fault. Worksheet wasn't dark enough. Teacher didn't give me enough time. The kid behind me was bugging me. Or the classic, you don't understand, teacher. He hit me back first. No ownership. Backbone parent, though, if you look at a backbone, it gives you flexibility you don't get from a rigid brick wall. And we need to be flexible raising our children. I mean, I have three. They're like day, night, and afternoon. (laughs) So we be flexible with our children. Uh, We're rigid brick wall. It's my way or the highway. Um, and that you will be punished, not disciplined. And there's a huge difference between those two. And jellyfish, uh, there are two kinds, jellyfish A and B. Jellyfish A is anything goes. You know, I'm not going to have structure. My kid will develop it on their own. Not true. That's why we're (laughs) here. (laughs) Um, And jellyfish B is those who neglect their children. And it has nothing to do with poverty. You know, so often we think if you're poor, No, many people who are poor make sure their children have breakfast. Some very wealthy people are out having power breakfast and the kid's on his own for breakfast Mm. or not eating. So it's just neglecting them for their own because they have their own issues or they're just so busy with their own life. But a backbone parent gives you that structure you don't get from a, a jellyfish, but it also provides the flexibility you don't get from the brick wall. So a backbone parent looks at that little one and says, you have a problem, go get me a bag. Three-year-olds can't pick up glass, but they can hold a bag. Yeah. Put the glass in, they help mop the floor up. And then you say, which of these two plastic glasses would you like to use today? Which says when you have a problem, what you need is a good plan. You know, when you make a mistake, you, there's, you own it, fix it the best that you can. And often mm-hmm. we fix it, help. yep learn from it and then move on move on if we can remember that 
for our children when they make mistakes, that own it, fix it, learn from it, move on. Then when our children um, have made mistakes in the bigger magnitude, but it's still a mistake when they're older, I talk about my son making a goal for the other team in a major soccer tournament <laughs> or football, as some people call it. Yeah. This, call it soccer. Um, and, you know, I looked at it, it, He had been pulled out of goalie uh, because the forward was injured and he was a left footed forward. And he took his goalie stuff off, went in, fell on his face. His shoelaces weren't fully tied. Not atypical. Uh, <laughs> and he fell flat on his face, but picked himself back up. And ran down the field as his own goalie's going, no, Joe, no, Joe, no, Joe. And he wasn't in tune with the goalie. He was in tune and making a left foot of goal. <laughs> and as soon as he made it and saw his goalie, he knew what he had done. Oh, and no. It was about soccer tournaments. Now, if the other team is held to zero, you can advance further. <laughs> well, that didn't happen because <laughs> he made the goal. His coach was so wonderful. Called him over and said, Joseph, get over here. And Joe's going, oh, no, I'm he said, Coach, I'm so sorry. He said, I don't want it. I'm sorry. That was a beautiful goal. Oh, my goodness. For us. <laughs> Own it. Don't tell me it's because you came out of goalie. Don't tell me it's because you fell on your shoulder. Own it. I made a goal for the other team. Fix it. He went out there and made not just one goal, but two. And what was even more heartening for me, the other team made a goal. So it would have never been zero anyway. <laughs> I love <laughs> so it. Learn from it. His coach said to him, if you ever come out of goalie and going back on the field, lean in with one of your shoulders to the direction you're supposed to be going in. A uh, little tool and move on. Beautiful. Instead of saying, well, you can't play in the tournament. Look what you did. Uh, now, nah. own it, fix it, learn from it, move on. Yeah. Um, and then we have, yeah, we have mischief would be the next level. Um, and I'm going to use Joe as an example again here. <laughs> he made that mistake, but he also created some mischief uh, in grade three. He uh, broke the beaver bait jar at the Natural History Museum in Denver. Could have been worse. Could have been an irreplaceable dinosaur leg. So lucky. Very replaceable beaver bait jar. I was so pleased he was not punished. He was not paddled, which sadly is still allowed in 19 states in my country, including my own. But our district had banned it. That's punishment. Mm. Paddling is doing something to them. Discipline is doing something with them. So when they create mischief, um, you don't uh, rescue them and you don't punish them. What you do is hold them accountable. Um, and I was so pleased that he was not paddled. He was not sent to the principal's office, which could have been punishment. He didn't have to write 550 times, I will not break a beaver bait jar. And he didn't get banned from the next field trip, which sadly to say happens to a lot of kids with special needs. Yeah, His teacher handled it very beautifully. She said, Joe, you have a serious problem here. I know you can handle it. He had to write a letter to the Natural History Museum. He had to replace the beaver bait jar, which is a trip unto itself. And for those of you who don't know what beaver bait is, yeah. it's female beaver urine. He will never break another beaver bait jar. And before he could go on the next field trip, he had to have all that done and have in writing how he would handle his feet, hands, and mouth creatively and constructively on the next field trip. He was shown what he'd done wrong, given ownership of the problem, given ways to solve it, and most importantly, it left his dignity intact. Beautiful. Did he have fun? 
Absolutely. And that really galls people who are into punishment. You know, how dare a kid have a good time fixing a mess he made? Yes, he had fun. The Saturday morning, he got to go with the game warden. He got up early, got his little knapsack already. And then the game warden very patiently explained to him how he had to collect female beaver urine. His eyes got <laughs> huge. He looked at me. He looked at his dad, who was now smiling. And he said, I have to do that. And the game warden said, well, I didn't break the beaver bait jar. <laughs> Own it, fix it, learn from it, move on is for mistakes. But show them what they've done wrong. Give them ownership of the problem. Give them ways to solve it, leave their dignity intact. And you say, but wait a minute. A child breaks a glass or runs into a post at school. Why is that a mistake and his not? Because of what he was doing. Yeah. As the, the guide was explaining dinosaur legs, he and his buddy were swinging their backpacks around. And his buddy hit Joe. They're both laughing. So Joe's going to swing his backpack back. And as he did, his strap on the backpack extended. His buddy ducked beaver bait jar. <laughs> that is not a mistake. That is mischief. Yeah, yeah, mischief. So yeah. Looking at that difference is so important. And another whole conversation is the mayhem. That's yeah. a much. And I wrote a book about it. It's called The Bully, the Bully, the Not-So-Innocent Bystander. Um, and what I want to raise children is to take not only ownership for your own behavior, um, but also watch out for other human beings. When the high-status social bully says to all the other uh, grade eight girls, I don't like the new girl. You want to be in my group, don't eat lunch with her. Mm. I want your daughter to be the one to say, that's mean. That's yeah. cruel. And have the courage to go sit next to the new girl. And she will do that at cost. She's not going to get any scratch and sniff stickers and stars, catch and being good awards, lunch with the principal. Uh -uh, she's probably going to get, oh, Miss Goody Two-Shoes are your next. And I want your son, when he's in the locker room and someone is ripping another kid apart because of their race or their religion or their gender or physical or mental ability, the big five for hate crimes. What makes a hate crime different than any other crime? It's criminal bullying. Let's go mess him up. I want your son to be the one to say no. When the burden's heavy, when his friends say, what are you, chicken? What do you just like him? No. Mm. But how on earth can we as parents raise young people to be willing to stand up at cost of themselves? Yeah. Because he's going to get, what are you, chicken? What do you just like him? Uh, we have to walk our talk. Yes. And talk our walk. Yes. So how do you treat hired help? How do you treat somebody moving through the grocery store a little slower than you'd like them to? How do you treat um, that new neighbor who looks different, has a different language as their first language, um, uh, dresses differently, eats different kinds of foods, has a different skin color? Mm. Your children are watching. Yes. Uh, and how do you treat the bigoted relative at the family gathering? We all have bigoted relatives. Yeah. Some just are on the branches yet <laughs> in the family tree. They're right there at the dinner table spewing bigoted comments, thinly disguised as jokes. Can your children hear you saying, I'm bothered by that, or that was racist, or that was sexist? Mm. When all the other relatives roll their eyes and say, why can't you take a joke? Not that kind. Because it's laughing at somebody, not with somebody. Yes. Difference teasing and taunting. Teasing is laughing with taunting is laughing at teasing cements relationships 
taunting severs them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, our children need to see us doing that. And then when our mom or dad are really upset with us for spoiling the dinner, because of course it was us that spoiled it, not Uncle George with this racist comments or sexist comments. And, but look, it's Uncle George, he's old. I got to tell you at 75, no age do we have the right to be bigoted and intolerant. No, mm-hmm. age is not an issue here. Um, and so he said, he's old. There's no excuse for that. Uh, can you, your children see you as your mom is reaming you out, hear you say, but mom, I don't want my children to ever believe it's okay to make those kind of comments. Right there, you are saying to children, when it's tough, you stand up for that other human mm. being. It's important to do that. If you walk your talk and talk your walk, will your children do it? Not necessarily, but they certainly have the foundation to do mm. it. Yeah, and- you're showing you're you're showing the way. You've got to you've got to be able to. Yes. It's it's work. It's work for us as well. It's not. <laughs> Parenting is not just something you're just born with, is it? Nope, nope. There's yeah, nope. <laughs> we, we need to do our professional development too. You know how we become parents? Only through our children and the children yeah. in the neighborhood and the people we extend ourselves out to. And that's why people will say, but that person doesn't have any children of her own and she's teaching mine. Hey, yeah. They by teaching children to sight into your child that you may not have. That's right. So we have some grace there. That's Uh, right. Yeah. Know that older people can teach too. That's right. That's right. And Barbara, we are going to, I'm going to just ask you a question about how we can stay in touch with you in that as well. But just so everyone knows, I think Barbara's still got a bit of time for me. So we're going to do a few little outtakes for afterwards because I told you she is so interesting and has so much to tell us. Um, but for now, how can, how, how do we find you? I mean, so you've definitely got, you've got your, is this your ma- most recent book? The Kids Are Worth It? Uh, no, uh, it is the most updated though. The most uh, updated, yeah. So this, this is my first book and it was written 20 20- really? Five years ago wow. and has been updated since it's the most updated of all my books uh however uh, no i say that uh the bully book uh, yeah. that i wrote in 2000 has been updated more often because of one thing media oh. the change media environment yes and online bullying and being targeted online, how to deal with that, which didn't exist in 2000. Right, so yes. Bully book has been so updated. How do we find out about all of your books? Do you have a... Uh, well, you can go to our website, mm-hmm. uh, kidsareworthit.com, www.kidsareworthit.com. Um, so that and- has, that's your website that has all of the books on it though as well. Yes, it has all the books. And you can order them from most major book outlets. Beautiful. Okay. And you're on Instagram? Uh, oh, don't ask me the title. <laughs> That's okay. I can I can put it down there below. But you're on, yeah. you are, you're on Instagram yeah. and Instagram Facebook? Instagram and, and Twitter. Not on Facebook. Not and on that's Facebook? a different story. Um, I had written a book, my uh, book after I'd been in Rwanda, I wrote a book called Extraordinary Evil. In the States, it's called Extraordinary Evil, A Short Walk to Genocide. 
And in Canada and internationally, it's called A Brief History of Genocide and Why It Matters. Extraordinary. That's going to be one of our outtake conversations because I'm so interested in that as well. um, uh, It was banned in Toronto School Board for a period of time because the Turkish ambassador um, was very upset that I wrote a chapter on the genocide of the Armenians. Uh, And uh, it was a political uh, hot potato there. Um, And so he got the school board in Toronto to ban my book, which meant the largest school district in the country, meaning no other district would pick it up. And uh, the prime minister had to intervene at that point. Uh, and yet, so it caused a bit of media sensation. You want to sell a book, get it banned, you know? <laughs> uh, however, along with that, and I always felt bad when Penn International came in to support it and the like, because Salman Rusky had just had death threats. And, you know, recently he was attacked. So that's many, many years ago that he had the death threats. And the fatwa was still there, even though the mullah had called it back. Well, Um, I felt bad, but then I didn't feel bad when I got death threats. And one of the recommendations from the RCMP, Canadian Royal Mounted Police, was don't be on Facebook because they'll find you. Right. So I I am not on Facebook. Okay. Um, And uh, uh, but I am on Twitter. Okay. uh, uh, Barbara Coloroso. I go by my full, my real name. I've had three. (laughs) <laughs> I've had three names. I told my husband he leaves me, he changes his name. Um, <laughs> I was Barbara Regan. I'm Irish. I'm Black Irish. I'm yeah. the dark, dark Irish. Um, and then Sister Joan Claire. And oh, of course. Barbara yeah. Barbarozzo. <laughs> so I've had three names. Um, I'm done. <laughs> and uh, so, no, I am not on Facebook. Okay. Okay. Well, Instagram. Twitter, your website, I'll put all of those up um, or I'll have them in the bio for if you're on the audio as well. And, and info, info.kidsareworthit yes. uh, at gmail.com yes. is also an email and you can, and it comes directly to me. Uh, and I answer them. Uh, if you go on our website, Kids Are Worth It, there are handouts for every one of my books. And there's also... Um, uh, I took the bully book during the pandemic for educators who were struggling with online yeah. uh, presentations and kids targeting one another during a Zoom class. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I excerpted my bully book. So if you punch the top corner of Kids Are Worth It website, there's a 70 page download wow. that, you, that summarizes that. And um, Mistakes, Mischief, and Mayhem will be up there soon. Wow. Oh, you're such a giver. You're such a beautiful soul. Thank you so much for, thank you for joining me today, Barbara. I'm so, it has been such a privilege and I hope to maybe speak to you again in the future. But again, stay tuned, everyone, because hopefully in the next few days, we'll have some outtakes and that coming as well. But thank you, Barbara. It's been a joy, Suzanne. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And remember, everyone, like, subscribe, share, tell everyone about Barbara and go and get on her website. My goodness, when you're getting free worksheets there and you can look up her books, why not do it? Thank you so much. I'll speak to you soon, everyone. Bye bye.